As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an agriculture business, how do you focus on being an industry member and an association member for collaboration and partnerships? This episode is dedicated to answering that question. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Business of Agriculture. In the previous episode, we had Jennifer Bushman, Matt Crace, and Sean O'Laughlin talked about education assets in the aquaculture industry. In this episode, I'm delighted to interview Mark Smith, who is the President and CEO of the Pacific Seaweed Industry Association. Welcome to the show. Mark. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Pleasure. He is an innovative thinker with over 30 years of progressive business development and leadership experience who's able to move ideas and organizations from startup to scale with a proven ability to develop and strengthen business partnerships and strategic alliances, ensuring that people, process, and technologies align to achieve those growth objectives. Welcome again to the show, Mark. Great. Thank you. So let me start by asking, how did you get into this industry and what's your vision for the sustainable seafood industry? Well, I'm new to the industry and I I always have to preface it by saying I'm certainly not the scientific piece. I'm really coming at it from the economic development and scale side of it. And I'm based on Vancouver Island. And a number of years ago, I was involved in an economic development organization based on the island called the Vancouver Island Economic Alliance. And I was on the board at the time, and we had a committee around advanced manufacturing. And that committee, a whole host of folks around that table, thought it would be a great idea if we could get Vancouver Island designated as a foreign trade zone. And we were successful in convincing the federal government of doing that. And when we did that, once we were successful in that, we thought it was behooved us to get some business cases created to really identify the opportunities on the island. And to nobody's surprise, aquaculture was on that list. But it was really the subset of seaweed that fell out of that. So one of our committee members, Bill Collins, who went on to form a company, Cascadia Seaweed, was there. And he kept looking at this opportunity going, somebody needs to do this. So he got together with some folks. They launched Cascadia Seaweed. I was really around kind of at the formative stages of looking at the industry on the island. And once we really started to delve into it, it became apparent very quickly 
that the necessity for an industry association to be a voice to go and have those conversations, quite frankly, at all levels of government and everybody. It couldn't come from a privately held company. So it's kind of the genesis of it. So fast forward to pandemic, it was right around that time when things were slowing down in other areas. We thought, what a perfect time to start an industry association. <laughs> so that's the genesis of it. And we've been lucky enough to, you know, we've got a core group that are starting to build out that on our, we have a small team of four. We're building out a board. I think one of our members, Jennifer Woodland, who's on our board, is she's actively involved as that she's still on the board of the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance. So we're really bringing in some great breadth and depth into our organization, but we're really at the starting line of just getting going. But we're a hot topic. We're certainly on the radar of a whole host of folks, industries, and companies. And in a short time, we've had close to 50 companies from small cultivators right up to the likes of the Cisco Foods who have joined our organization. So we're excited for the future. It's so exciting. We call this now the seaweed as the darling of the aquaculture industry recently. And you mentioned Jennifer Woodland, who's also a guest in my podcast, and also Bill Collins. Interestingly, I'm actually interviewing the Canadian Aquaculture Industry Alliance President Tim Kennedy and Sir Couturier after this episode. So watch out for that as well. But to continue on with what you were talking about, so was there some kind of epiphany that happened that you guys got together? And I love that you're coming from the economic perspective because I'm hearing a lot of people who originally started the industry who are obviously technicians, meaning a fisherman who was just seeing the devastating impact that's happening in the ocean. So there's lots more people coming from the business background that's, I think, adding flavor, if I may say, to the industry. Well, we might have had a bit of an aha moment of really an epiphany. And that when we were really starting to do a deep dive, no pun intended, into this space, there was a report published a few years ago of an organization called Seaweed for Europe. It was a great report really outlining the opportunity for the coastlines, predominantly in the United Kingdom. And when we looked at that and did some quick math, you know, without really doing a deep dive and extrapolated the coastline opportunities in Canada, it's a monumental opportunity. And again, as we start to delve into the science and quickly find out that, you know, in and around the island, there's hundreds of species that are native to here, you know, we're perfectly positioned. We're really the gateway to the Asia, to Pacific in general. And hence, when we, I just have to, you know, to not to go back here a little bit, but when we incorporated and set up this organization. We were originally the Pacific Growers Association. And when we started to have conversations with, I'll just call them larger scale organizations in the space, it's our standing joke that we're still trying to get the organization stood up, but we've already gone through a rebrand. And what I mean by that is there was a perception out there that we were only about the farmers and mission critical to our success is we have to scale up cultivation in British Columbia and really across the country. But it was that feedback that brought us to, hence, we're going to become the industry association. And that's that's where we're at today. It's amazing that you were talking about that because I know that you guys were also looking into the Blue Economy Project. So maybe you can give our audience a little bit of a background of what this Blue Economy Project is. 
Well, the, you know, the federal government's embarking on, you know, and really globally, the UN, of course, is, you know, as part of their sustainability pieces. And at the UN Ocean Conference a few months back, as I'm sure you're well aware, I mean, seaweed, again, that darling, you know, not just nationally here, but really globally is emerging as that piece. And, and in my mind, you know, as a relatively simplistic viewpoint, the blue economy strategy is really how do we leverage the ocean? Period. You know, how do we do that? I mean, the opportunity, it's not like it's new and it's not there. I mean, the statistic that always pops into my mind is that if we just look at food, seaweed as a food source, and globally to date, approximately 2% of the world's food supply comes from the ocean. And yet 71% of the world is covered in water. So that's a bit of a disconnect. It just seems like from a business standpoint, a bit of a, dare I say, missed opportunity. Untapped opportunity is probably a better. And it's not a simple task, but I think the world, and dare I say, on a bit of a philosophical note, I think as, dare I say, a post-mortem from pandemic is the world's changing. And I think attitudes are changing. And I think those are all check boxes to help us really grow up that piece. And and the government, you know, I was like two weeks ago, I had lunch with Kendra McDonald from the Ocean Supercluster was out here. And I hope she doesn't mind me saying, but when we sat through their presentation, their vision future, I mean, probably every fourth or fifth slide in there, the word seaweed, algae, kelp was first and foremost. So it is absolutely a mission critical piece of the blue economy strategy. Well, you know, it's interesting. I attended that event and I don't know you yet. So I probably should have said hi. We didn't, yeah. I didn't know we were neighbors. <laughs> I was in that event too. But now that you segue talking about business, I want to talk a little bit geeky about this. So when investors come and look at a seaweed project, if you're free to divulge, I'm sure you probably have an industry information on this. What's the payback period and the rate of return with this species? I don't have a an empirical answer of data on that because it's real, you know, it's not relatively new. It's very new specifically where we're at, you know, in the investment folks that we're dealing with at all levels and people that are looking at this, whether it's financial institutions, venture capitalists, family offices, all of the above, the traditional model of return can't apply here. And what I mean by that is patient capital is required because part of that, specifically in British Columbia, and if you take the Cascadia example, you know, there's going to be some experimentation. You're starting new farms. And, you know, and I both know as business people, if, you know, if you're investing into something, is the investor happy with the three to five year payback period? Maybe, but not all the time, right? So it is a different I call it investor profile that's looking at this. We think the returns are hard to gauge because even globally, there doesn't seem to be a lot of, you call it statistical and data. That's part of the piece we're trying to bring to this party is like, how do we, how do we get it all organized? And part of that, of course, is when there's a lot of privately held companies, it's hard to access that data. But we do know that based on the volume of scale, you know, some quick math says that this business should be a win. 
but it's going to take some investment. And, and I apologize because I get excited when I talk about this. But the, I think the really exciting piece of this that we see, and there's a study actually just being completed right now on Vancouver Island, so we can get that out to some of your listeners after. But when you start talking to all levels of government, and you start alluding to the fact that you're creating a net new industry, there's kind of this look of panic in everybody's eyes because it's like, oh, that's billions of dollars. The good news for seaweed here is that we believe 85 to 90% of the infrastructure exists. Are there docks? Are there boats? Are there people that have traditional aquaculture training that might be in the commercial fishing space that we can repurpose? So a lot of that is... It's capital intensive, but it's not billions of dollars to get this industry going. And if you distill that back to a startup business, you know, you can, you know, the barrier, the barrier of entry, I, I hearken it to any other business. You know, it's hard to do, but it is interesting that I know globally, I was in Scotland a few months ago, and I know some of the conversations we're having with actually insurers are having a look at this industry. And long story, I don't bore you with the details, but there is quantifiable piece where there's demonstrated basically metrics coming out in some of these more established operations. So it lends to the business case for those that are actually trying to finance and get going. And like I said, I would just end on the note that I think like every other startup business where the industry is at a startup phase, but when you take that down to our, at a member level, and we've got a lot of folks in kind of the traditional seafood space that might have underutilized processing facilities up and down the coast here, for example, how do you repurpose that? But it's kind of chicken and egg to go, we need more cultivation to have the, you know, you get the problem, right? <laughs> it's this dynamic of at what point in time do you invest? So hence, we think the whole opportunity to build this from cultivation to primary to secondary processing to exporting to food all across could and should exist in British Columbia, we have to get moving. We have to get moving. Well, it's kind of serendipity that you're talking about this because I was just having a discussion with my business partner yesterday because I was seeing this from a perspective of it's the same in our shellfish industry wherein we started 20 years ago and it's a startup. I actually originally called our company a 10-year startup because the species <laughs> that we grow takes 10 years. But it's a breath of fresh air to hear somebody that the rate of return financial model is not applicable because it's such a new industry. But what was kind of telling to me with all that, I guess, sharing that you did was having to tell the story in terms of the background of why now seaweed is the darling of the industry, why it's going to change and have an impact on climate and all these metrics that are not really figures. And all the quantitative background on why people should support it is another way of a key performance indicator, I guess, if I may have to call it that. So my next question then becomes, what do you see as a future trend in the sustainable aquaculture business? I'm not going to say unfortunately, but unfortunately, I've, I've, I always have put the, you know, the lens, I'm coming at it from the lens of seaweed. But, you know, one of the things that and conversations that we're actively engaged in both at a provincial level and in the connectivity of things that we're doing on a, on a more North American global basis to try and gain some insight is really around multi-trophic 
aquaculture. So it's about the multi-uses in there. And we've actually, and I have to credit my esteemed colleague, Jennifer, on our board because she simplified multi-trophic aquaculture. And now we just call it polyculture, which is great. It's many things. But I think if we can get there where you're integrating, of course, all of these simultaneous productions and with the benefits there, I think that's a good starting point. And again, to come back to the BC opportunities, or, or actually, I'm going to say Canadian, you know, where there's existing, it could be an oyster farm or a fin fish operation or any of these, you know, to potentially, can we lay in these other things? You know, can we lay in a kelp farm, a test bed, do some of these and have a look at that and start to scale those pieces? And of course, you know, all of the outside of the production opportunities, you know, all of the other benefits. And, you know, I don't want to get too deep into that side of it but you know when you start looking at the potential carbon that piece you know the jury the science is still out but at the end of the day we believe we're firm supporters in we believe in the science so we wait to see what that happens but we know that there are some benefits you know the sea forestation laying kelp beds back in i mean there is data available globally that supports that those are all good things and do you know if there's already an existing seaweed company internationally that's not on startup phase or pretty much everybody is in the same boat i think <laughs> intended you know yeah no it's it's interesting you say that i mean i like i alluded to there i was in scotland a few months ago and i'm going back for a whole host of reasons but when i went there you know the scottish sams is the acronym which is the scottish association for marine sciences that's been around since i think 1894 and when i met with their some of their leadership team it was fascinating it's like I believe one of the commentaries we chuckled about was that, well, we didn't get serious about seaweed till the 1980s, but there's, you know, they've launched a seaweed academy and they're doing things. But the point, and the reason I bring that up is before I got there, I had made all these assumptions that they were leaps and bounds ahead of us. And actually that's not true. In some areas they are, in some areas we are, but the other things around like regulatory is a big I'll call it a challenge that we need to deal with. And I guess if there's a good news story is that that appears to be kind of a challenge everywhere. And again, we agree with the regulatory and the policy, the process, you know, don't just arbitrarily start introducing a species into water that you don't know what the impact is going to be. But what we are saying is we need to get started. And we need to find a framework that we can do that and other areas around the globe have done that. I just have to say for the record, and I apologize for hijacking the time here, but one of the things I love about this industry, and I think from what I'm leaning into others, folks like yourself in this space, in aquaculture in general, the bridges and connectivity to high level people around this world that I have made, it is because it's at the starting line, everybody's very open and transparent. And it's amazing to me, you can phone up and everybody will, you know, you can get the meeting and you can have these conversations because we're not at that stage of, you know, we're not a private software company trying to protect our intellectual property. It's like, let's just information share. And to put our hat back on as the industry association, you know, we are having very meaningful discussions with lots of people on the East Coast and federally. 
I could see us tracking to be more of a national organization because it needs to be a unified voice. And and in traditional, dare I say, Canadian business, we have all those same issues. We've got two coasts that are thousands of kilometers apart, and albeit they have some different scientific and environmental and in different scenarios that are happening out there, probably 85% of the things we need to do together to move this forward, we should be doing together as opposed to all in silos. Well, I like that very much. I will create a hashtag together is better. (laughs) It's already existing. I don't (laughs) have to create it actually. (laughs) So my last question to you, it's what's one thing you can advise a leader in this industry? You know, it's if I happen to be at this event the other night, so I'm going to borrow with pride from somebody that brought this up. Although, in, and I've been involved in a lot of business things in my life over, dare I say, 30 years. But I, I think the single biggest thing is just keep going. And, you know, that sounds a little cliche and a little basic business tip to the entrepreneurial mind of those that of us that have lived the dream, good, bad, or indifferent, is that this is a long-term play for a whole host of things, for the world, for the environment, for food, for business, for all of those things. And I know when I put my personal hat on, there are days of incredible frustration when you're, you know, trying to find an operating budget for an association, trying to attract members, trying to change policy, trying to do all of those. It's a monumental task. But I think when you get like-minded individuals, and I love having conversations like this, is because there are a host of interested people around the globe, smart, smart, smart people that are involved in this space that are doing things that are moving it forward. So again, super long answer to your short question. It's just, let's just keep moving this together and together is better. So your hashtag is apropos here. (laughs) Well, I am really excited that you said that because fascinatingly, as you know, in the Far East, Japan has always been planning in terms of business, 100-year plans, 300-year plans. And so when I actually talk about our species having a 10-year payback period, that seems to be like some minutia of the whole, if you do actually think of sustainability in uh, you know three centuries of planning. And if we make decisions today based on what this will be like 300 years from now, then I guess we're actually facing what you mentioned, just keep going, don't lose hope. And I think that the industry as a general is on its way there. It's work, but it's going there. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mark. The biggest takeaway that I got from our conversation is when we were talking about framework. I think it's very important that in an industry that's new or even existing for quite some time, framework is really important because I always say that a vision without a method or a unique process is just a dream. So frameworks really work very well in our industry. How can they can get in touch with you? Our website's simple, seaweedindustry.ca. And there's a a form there, phone numbers, there's contact information. So again, just seaweedindustry.ca. We're there. We'd love to connect with people and have further the conversations. Well, thanks again, Mark. We have to see each other. We can have lunch. I'm 20 minutes away from you. (laughs) We absolutely do. Pleasure meeting you. And thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. To our subscribers, do leave a review of the podcast so we can get more people to be aware of the value our guests are providing in these conversations. If you're new to the podcast, I'd like to hear from you. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you. Have a great day. 
Thank you for listening and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.